Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. This is Lisa with Charismatic Woman, and we are here with our first call in this series of, I. you have a better title for it, but I'm just going to say it's How to Get Happy and Stay Happy. It is about achieving a continual state of happiness with Ruby. And I'm just going to say before we start, and I'm going to ask Ruby to do an intro of her own before we get rolling here. But when Ruby talks about getting happy and staying happy, I'm going to listen. And I think there's a lot of sort of niche kind of, I don't know, kitschy sort of stuff about happiness and being happy and getting happy and I mean, I think happiness is an overused word in our industry, generally speaking. But when Ruby talks about getting happy, that is a different thing. Because I know Ruby well enough to know that it's not a catchphrase or a buzzword or some sort of, I don't know, ethereal idea. It's like a, it's a, a tangible, touchable, real, I'm going to say spiritual pursuit. For Ruby. And so she posted, I don't know, a few days ago, a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago, about having committed to getting happy and staying happy and for a year. And it caught my attention because, like I said, when Ruby says something like that, I'm going to listen. And I thought about it for a few days and I kind of thought, wouldn't it be cool to get Ruby as a guest to talk about how she did that and what that really means in her world and kind of glean some of that information? Because this isn't going to be sort of surface, floaty kind of stuff. This is going to be stuff that gets into the nitty gritty, kind of the heart of of what happiness is and not just how to do it, but to maintain it. And I think that's really the key, like getting happy for a few minutes or a few days is a significant achievement, but committing to stay in a continuous state of happiness and really working towards that and being able to say that you've done that work and achieved that goal is huge. So what we're going to unpack here over the next few weeks, I think is potentially life-changing for people. And I am incredibly honored to have Ruby here. And before we get started, I'm just going to give one housekeeping detail, which is we are going to do this slightly differently in that we are going to do calls every other week instead of weekly during this course, which gives you a little bit more time to implement and practice and really get into the the heart and soul of what we're doing here. So, Ruby, thank you for being <laughs> here. And before you get started, give us a quick introduction, kind of a bio. Tell us a little bit about you. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. I am, um, you know, I have been waiting to get on this call. I'm really excited to do this series. And you're absolutely right when you say that I need to define happy a little bit, which I will. 
And honestly, when you were talking about that aspect, um, I thought back at the notes I was making, and there's a particular section of defining happy, and I wrote down a sentence which I will kind of discuss, and I said to myself, oh, I don't know if people are going to like this definition of happy. <laughs> I think they might expect something else. And if I tell them this, I must mention that don't be, don't, don't get, don't panic, don't be afraid. This is not uh, going to, you know, be any less rewarding than anything else you've done. I thought that was so spot on when you said, oh, I think she's going to define it a different way. Um, yeah, this is a different approach for me. Uh, but before we go into that uh, quick introduction, uh, I am a yoga teacher, a yoga practitioner, a certified yoga teacher. Um, I am also a life coach, and I have dedicated my life in um, the pursuit of finding oneness with my consciousness. And I think largely that that goal has come because of the yoga teacher's training that I did, and particularly um, the yoga sutras that were taught as part of that training had a huge impact on me. And honestly, at the time of the teaching, I didn't realize um, how deep and meaningful and impactful um, the sutras were. But it is over the years when I've revisited the sutras, when I've studied and uh, studied the verses again, and I've kind of contemplated what they've said, um, that's when it really hit me that, you know, I really, I have such a little time to explore what the sutras are trying to express to us that I, that I at, at some point, I guess, I decided to make my entire being, my entire pursuit of living, my purpose of life is to unveil and personally experience everything that the sutras have uh, laid out. And one of the ways that I do it is through my coaching practice. Um, and coaching, you know, it's such a beautiful thing. I'm so so happy to live in this world where I can I can express what I'm learning um, and exchange ideas and exchange energies through that format of coaching. Um, and and essentially, what I do through my coaching is I look at an individual's life through um, five different aspects which is um, how the person relates to others, how the person relates to themselves, what is their relationship with their own physical form, their relationship to their mind, and the relationship, their relationship to the spiritual side of themselves. So that's the, these are the five um, approaches that I have in my coaching. Um, and yeah, that's that's really it. I do other things like I do podcasts. I write quite a bit. Um, I have online sessions which I give for uh, uh, reading. I give meditation sessions online. So those those are the various formats in which I deliver um, what I'm learning in my, in my personal life. And um, you know when you when we exchange. Um, we had that brief conversation about the post that you are referring to. Um, 
you know, I was I was thinking about ways because people were asking me already uh, because, like you noticed, a lot of other people noticed that there was something like, how is it possible? The question that kept coming back to me, like, how is that possible? How are you doing it? That it almost seemed to me that people knew that yes, we are supposed to be happy, but somewhere um, I think there is a disconnect or almost like a disbelief that yeah, I know that it. I'm supposed to be happy, and people keep saying that I'm supposed to be happy all the time, but I don't think that it's really doable. And when I came out with that post and I said, no, I'm actually doing it, and as of the, I think it was 11th of June, um, where I think, I don't know how many days we're in, I think it was some hundred and something odd days, and I, and I said that no, for these many hundreds of days, <clears throat> I've actually remained happy. Um, people wrote back questioning me, is that, is that even possible? How are you doing it? Can you expand on it? So you contacting me and giving me this platform to kind of share um, how I'm doing it or what the process is, is of tremendous value to me. Uh, so thank you again, Lisa, for, for inviting me for having me on. Well, I mean, I think what was fascinating to me about that post is knowing you as well as I do. I know that if you say you've been happy X number of days, you it's been, that's a real for real thing. Again, it's not that sort of glossy, coachy kind of statement. It's a true spiritual pursuit. And I also kind of want to point out something else that I know about you. I mean, when you say, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a coach, when you say you're a yoga teacher, that goes way beyond you just, you know, getting your yoga certification in some quickie six-week course over the summer and go into some studio someplace and teaching sweaty yoga classes. I mean, you are from India. You studied with, you studied your yoga training in a very traditional yogic environment and yes, it involves what we would consider traditional yoga. I mean, Western yoga, the you know the movement-based pieces of it. But your yoga training was also very Eastern tradition in that it did include sort of the spiritual, not sort of, but definitely the spiritual pieces of that training, and a deep understand understanding of the yoga sutras. And I was fortunate enough to learn yoga sutras from you or start scratching the surface with that. So, I mean, it's it's not surprising to me to hear you say that all of this kind of ties back to those teachings because I can see how just me studying it with you for, you know, several weeks or actually months would translate to a deeper understanding of what happiness might mean and a broader perspective on how to achieve that. Yeah, I mean, for sure, um, the 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 place that I went to, the ashram that I went to, is is not um, one of your top, or at least not it's not an ashram or an organization that's very well known. My teacher 
um, has been running, or at least that ashram that I've mentioned has been running now for 500 years, but very few people know about it. It's not as big as Shivananda or Yogananda ashrams or even Iyengar Yoga. Like these are huge institutions. And you're absolutely right. Um, the person who taught us, there was, you know, yes, the, the postures and all of that had its place, but I think a lot of it was on, a lot of the emphasis was on contemplation, on um, kind of uh, understanding our own mind, um, figuring out how to master the thoughts that, 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 that were continuing to play up in our mind. And, and, you know, so all of that was a larger chunk of what happened and how we were taught. So absolutely. And, and which is why, you know, um, I, I want to kind of talk about what, it mean, how, what am I saying when I say being happy? Uh, because like you mentioned earlier, you know, happiness, is, is, uh, happiness or happy is a word that's used interchangeably in a lot of situations, in a lot of blogs, in a lot of memes. So for me, when I'm talking about a state of happy, I'm talking about being in alignment, being connected, um, and 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 not so much as being connected as in you're you're suddenly feeling ecstatic and you're feeling oh my god energetic all of a sudden. No, that's that's different. This is about holding your center um, within the framework of your reality, irrespective of what's happening in your reality. So even if it's good things, happy things, blissful things happening uh, within your reality, or it's anything else that um, that we classify as sorrowful or hurtful or painful, you are maintaining your equilibrium, you are maintaining your center, you are maintaining your alignment um, within the framework of your reality. So it's a very active, participatory role that you're playing in your life. And you are being that irrespective of what's around your reality. So in spite of hardships, in spite of... So this is not about changing your reality. This happy that I'm talking about is not... It, none of these conversations are really going to be about how I'm going to change my reality. This is more about being source energy. This is more about being consciousness. This is more about being conscious uh, with what is happening right now. And that is really the true state of happy when nothing can throw you off. Um, and that's something that we will explore a little more, and, and I'll talk about this again, but just to mention that happiness is never, you know, true happiness is never dependent on an external factor. So um, one of the things, you know, there was a very interesting exchange I had with someone who reached out to me, and they asked me, so tell me, why are you so happy? Like, how did you manage this? Yes, but why are you so happy? And I couldn't express to them why I was happy because um, I found that the answer that they were looking for was me pointing out to something outside of me to say, oh, I am happy because such and such and such, you know, either 
my work is going really well or I'm making a lot of money or I have a fantastic husband and it's, you know, I'm feeling loved or I just bought a new car or um, I bought my dream house. So it seemed to me that that person was looking for me to point out an external reason and that it's a very crucial part that I want to kind of separate out of the definition of what I'm talking about being happy and what um, I find or any of us might find being defined as being happy anywhere else. This is about being conscious, being consciousness and being the source energy irrespective of the reality around you. Um, Which I think you said two things there, so I'm going to stop you for a second, because I think that that is maybe one of the pitfalls, and, I, and I'm embracing myself a little because I could be really misconstruing something that isn't really true. In fact, it's not. Abraham actually says, go get happy. Like, that's all there is to it. But one of the pitfalls of, I think, traditional law of attraction is it's all about the get, right? Use mm-hmm. LOA to attract, use LOA to create, use LOA to get this and that and the next thing. And I don't think very often there's enough emphasis on that internal state. I mean, you're talking about an internal state that is not blown about by external circumstances. And the other thing you said there that really comes to the top for me is you said it's an active process, mm-hmm. which I also think is something that people misinterpret about happiness. Like they're waiting for happiness to rain on them, you know, waiting to feel happy, thinking happiness is going to happen to them or for them. But a lot of times we're not engaged in the dance of life in a way that makes us actively participating, actively doing the thing that is happiness or equilibrium, I would say. So I think those two things are really important. This isn't something that happens to you. It's something that you're doing. And it is not something that is dependent on external circumstances. In fact, the goal is to be so intensely rooted in it that external circumstances don't rattle you. Correct. Absolutely, absolutely. And it is, you know, there is a saying that happiness is an inside job. This is what I mean by, you know, I think they're trying to define um, this aspect of my definition of happy. You know, consciousness does not say that I am all-powerful or I am infinite because I'm happy or as a result of my infinity, I am happy. Like that's not consciousness. It does not recognize those emotions. The true happiness or that that state of happy that I'm talking about is being consciousness, is being, it's it's just being. Like I don't want to define it. It's just being. You know, I was thinking of um, an, an example of this would be you know, when you're really in the flow of doing something that um, that comes to you very naturally or you really love doing, uh, it could be, say, if you're, you're an actor or you're, you, know, you like uh, acting on a play, if you're the actor in the play and in the middle of the, middle of the play as you're delivering your dialogue and you're doing all of these things, you're in the moment. At that moment, 
you're really not thinking you're not kind of feeling happy because you are being source you're you're you're, you're being who you um love who who you love who you who you are meant to be you're living your purpose at that particular moment you're not really feeling happy it's always after you walked out of the stage is when you kind of take a deep breath and you look around and that's when the happiness flows in so a state of happy is the former not the latter and that's what i'm trying to kind of bring to this discussion that how can we be in that state of happy um instead of chasing the feeling of happiness because like you said that will be that will be a never ending go get it situation and you don't want to get caught up in that trap although i will say that there are tremendous benefits to to getting something um especially when you know you're in a, in a place where nothing's going right or you don't know how to turn it around doing something just to kind of feel the feeling there there is value in that and there is use in that um but we are going to discuss a very different kind of happy so i mean i mean what does that what yeah, you just ahead. i'm interrupting you what you just described is what some people would refer to as flow mm. being in the flow in that moment of extreme presence where you are engaged in just doing what you're doing or being who you're being with a tremendous amount of presence i guess is the word i mean it it really does come down to a state of very high mindfulness yes well yes it it, it does mind so mindfulness is a part of it and and we'll discuss that concept as well because i've got a twist in that concept as well <laughs> All right, I'm going to quit interrupting. You go ahead. So, so I hope that you know that kind of um clarifies to anyone listening that um what what we're discussing, how I'm defining my happy and I hope we're on, you know, we get on the same page um to receive the information that, you know, I've be, I've been using. So, now that we know what is happy, um you know, I the 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 crux the the crux of this entire discussion will be around the concepts or like how what i'm going to call it as filters i have five filters that i want to present to to you guys um and those are at the core of how i do what i do and i want us to look at these filters like um you know if you want to see just like you have glasses right you have sunglasses you have red tint and blue tint and green tint and depending on if you want to see the world red um you put on those glasses and then because it's a red tint you see the rest of the world as as uh, red and so what those concepts really do for me is that they have helped me turn things around because every time something has come up or um something that potentially could disturb this center that i'm talking about i use one of these filters whichever is appropriate for that situation at that time and as soon as i use those filters i put that in between me and whatever has shown up on my reality or that potential threat um immediately um it it kind of just dissipates it it doesn't 
it, it doesn't hold any power and it's not powerful enough to kind of come through and disturb my center. So we are going to talk about largely the five uh, concepts of five filters um, that help me do this. But before I get to the filters, I want to kind of discuss um, the four pillars of uh, my process, like my practice. Now, this is important because, um, as you know, Lisa, I mean, we can we can have the best information, and we can have you know tons of books, tons of knowledge, uh, but it is the practice that actually makes the difference. I mean, you can read and read and read, and hear and hear and hear, but um, it's the work that is going to make difference. So I have like these four guidelines for my practice, without which I have found that if you don't do these four, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're going to find either really slow success, or you're not going to get results, you're not going to find success at all, unless these four things um, exist. So I'd like to take a moment and kind of go through those four uh, pillars of my practice. Um, and this is your experience. <laughs> it's taken me, I guess, a while, I think years, before I zoomed down on these four. And they're very simple. You already know them. I don't think this is going to be new information. But I'm, what I'm claiming through my personal experience is that if you don't do these four, it does not matter what you do. You aren't going to get the results. And, and all four are important. You can't pick and choose between these four. The first one is actual practice, which means doing the work. There is no shortcut to this one. Like I was saying before, much has been written, much has been made available to us. There's plenty that you've heard. And in my experience, there was a period for a really, really long time where I read, I read, I read, I listened, I listened, I listened. I went to this seminar and that seminar and, and this talk and that talk. But until I got serious about applying it as an actual action in my life, I went nowhere. And in my conversations, I mean, I had a lot of plenty of moments where it was all lip service about what I know. But what I, what I found is that when I, in, retro, when, in retrospect, Lip service got me nowhere. It got me no results. It was distracting. It was good. It made me feel certain things that, oh, I'm like, you know, I know this and know that. But it, it, it definitely was a good distraction. But eventually I found that I was in the same spot. There was no progress. I was still dealing with the same issues. And really I was not benefiting um, at all by the technique that um, I had read about or that I know about. So it's all about actual practice. It is truly about the hours that you put in. Does that ring a bell? <laughs> it, it rings a bell. And I mean, I think that we can all relate to having, you know, a hard drive full of products and sh bookshelves full of books and, you know, class after class. And none of it, none of it is any, well, I can't say none of it's any good. I mean, some of it probably slips in, but it's always the practice. And yeah. 
I like that you say it's the hours you put in. I would say it's the days and years that you put in probably. But this isn't a once and done kind of thing. It's it's not it's not a magic wand. It Correct. really is do the practice. Correct. So it is about the work. And actually you you brought up the second pillar, which is what you just said. It is not a once a while approach. Which second pillar is actually being continuous and steady in your practice. So any transformation any state of being that you're trying to achieve, no matter what your goal is, no matter what you're trying, what results you're trying to, to get, uh, get, right, from any kind of physical transformation or spiritual transma- transformation or anything that you're trying to do in respect to your work, to your relationship, to your home, whatever. You have to think of it from as a long game it is always a long term game it's not enough that i do the work and i and i try out the practice and i try out the action i have to remain in the practice continuously so it has to become a way of life it's not something that i have to do um only when i have free time or every time i start seeing that i'm slipping really bad or i'm going into a spiral that's when i pull out that uh, book and I actually try some action. No, it has to be continuous. We have to be diligent and we have to really keep at it to keep the experience alive and to actually bring transformation. So, and, and I'm specifically dividing these two into two pillars because sometimes I feel these two get lost when they're mingled together. One is doing the work. That's the first one. And the second one is being deliberate, deliberately continuous and steady with the practice. You have to be at it all the time. These two um, may seem like they overlap quite a bit, but they're actually quite different. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's the difference between getting up in the morning and working on your vision board for 10 minutes and thinking you're done. But mm-hmm. doing that every single day, you're doing mm-hmm. it every day. Yes. That is one thing. And another thing is getting up in the morning every single day and knowing that you are going to be different every moment of the day. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's like being in that state state of mind um, and your thoughts, your words, your actions, all of them have to kind of line up and match up. And you have to do that every waking minute. So it's, not, it's not a once-a-week activity. <clears throat> it's like I want to become te- a tennis pro, and I only kind of make it to the tennis court once a year. And I try all the techniques and the backhand and the fronthand, and I don't even know the other terms, but I try all of them. And, I, and I'm so good at it. I stay on the court for like six hours, you know, doing my cardio, doing my, you know, the hits and learning all the rules. I do it only once a year. And then I say, well, I did the practice. You said, Ruby, do the practice. But it's, it's about continuously living and breathing that goal every single day is what will make a difference. Um, yeah, I can. <laughs> and so the third pillar uh, of a practice is going deeper. 
So in my so what I find what I have found is that I have gone through or read about so many techniques, so many philosophies. Like I'm like Google for this 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 subject. I think like self transformation. Like if you ask me about anything, any uh, contemporary or even you know historic um, tools, I think I I can speak to almost all of them. Um, and this is largely because I've always been curious. Um, I've always, you know, I was, I was always seeking new information. And what I found is that I have only made significant progress when I, um, you know, decided to go with one piece of philosophy or one technique or one particular tool and really go into the deeper levels um, of that same technique. Because in my experience, uh, whatever tool you're using right now, um, there are levels. It's like an onion, and, and, and this is pure experience. This, you can do the same thing again and again and again, but as you start mastering that technique, a new level kind of opens up. It reveals itself. And as you practice that same technique, you might be doing the same thing, but from a deeper level, uh, you will find that you break new ground. So you have to like kind of bunker down and move deeper to really feel the benefit of that technique. Superficial uh, practice will take you, will, will give you some benefit uh, if you're continuous and steady. Um, but the real inner shift happens is when you dig, uh, dig deep down. Now, there was an example that I heard about digging deep. Um, so there was this village, <clears throat> and there, there was drought, there was continuous drought. And so this one man said, um, you know, I'm going to solve this problem, um, and I'm going to kind of, you know, I know we have groundwater, so I'm going to kind of dig a well, and the problem is going to be solved. We're never going to be in drought. We always have water. Um, and he he left village and he went to like this open ground nearby and he stayed there for months and years and decades went by and the villagers were like well it's, it's two decades now and he still hasn't been able to solve the problem let's go see what he's been doing and what like are we doomed are, is there no water when they reached that plain field what they saw like shocked them because this entire expansive field, you know, it's like till the horizon, till the eye can see this, this field. And there were just these holes across this field. And then they went looking for the man who was like way off and he was still digging, digging, digging. And they asked him, well, what happened? It's been two decades and why, why are we still in drought? Why do we still keep experiencing where's the water? And what they found was the man just kept digging like, five, ten feet, and when he found no water, he went on to the next hole. So there's a lesson, and he's been doing this for 20 years, okay, like a couple of decades. So the lesson in that story is what I'm trying to bring, bring to the table with the third pillar. You will hit groundwater, you will hit your solution, you will hit your salvation, only if you keep digging, if you keep going down. Five feet and you don't find something, you say, yeah, yeah, this spot is done. I think I need to move on to the next spot. That's not going to yield results. You'll be doing the practice. You'll be 
doing the actual work will be continuous and steady, but you're not going to reach your solution. You're not going to reach that salvation, that fresh water to quench your thirst unless you go deep down, lay, move through the layers of the same technique. That's the third one. And don't you think that is attached to some degree to the first two, right? Mm -hmm. Do the practice, do the practice consistently, be the practice, and dig deep. They're all related. I think one of the reasons people have a hard time with do the practice daily, be the practice, is because they just continue to dig holes, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I worked this practice or this theory or this philosophy or this process and I dug 10 feet and I didn't find what I wanted. So I moved on to the next one. I moved on to the next one. They all feel that feels very related to the first two to me. I mean, we're looking for that magic pill. Yeah. And you're saying, you know, that the solution, the salvation, the word you used, and I liked that, is, is in the depth of the practice that you choose, not the surface. So continuing to dig those holes with all of these different things is only going to leave you tired. Correct. It's going to leave you tired. It's going to leave you stressed. It's going to leave you disillusioned. It's going to leave you frustrated. Um, right. When actually you've got good, good ethics because, I mean, you've got a good, you've got, you started well because you're doing the practice and you're doing it steady. And, you know, it kind of brings me to, you know, how some people, um, and we've heard this, Lisa, quite a bit, where people say, you know, my inbox is full with all these triggers and I've signed up for this, signed up for that. Suddenly someone says, oh, I've got, you know, this solution. I tried this. So I'm going to go there. Um, you know, there's a saying, um, as a, I, don't, I don't remember which philosophy it belongs to, but there's a saying that you can, a person can find um, consciousness or source even on a blade of grass. And that's what this means, going deep. Um, I think it is Rumi's uh, quote, one of his quotes is that, you know, the entire universe, all the secrets of the universe, you can find in one drop. And you are that, something about you are that drop itself, you know. So, so all, all of the philosophers, anyone who has been enlightened knows that there is no one way to get to source. There's no one way to get to consciousness. You find what suits you and, and just just be that. Just go deeper and deeper and, you know, feel those layers. You will find the same answer that any liberated person has found uh, up till now. So depth in your practice is important. There's no point in jumping from one to another. Like no solution is better than any other solution. Everything leads to the same um, reality. Yeah, I agree. So the last one, the fourth pillar without which you can't really make anything happen is personal experience. Now, this is a big one. This is a big discovery for me. Um, it was the single most powerful um, thing that I experienced, which really turned around quite a few things for me when I realized that Personal experience trumps everything. Like it does not matter what 
you have experienced, what you know to be true, um, it will never become my truth until I, I experience it for myself. So, yes, I still ask questions. Yes, I will still seek guidance. I will still be coached. I will still take directions. But I will never um, take someone else's knowledge, someone else's uh, wisdom or experience to mean my truth. And, and this is why I say this. Because any philosophy, any concept, any tool, any technique, the magic of it works just a little differently for each person. Because each of us is, is consciousness, yes. So we're connected like that. But we are a different, just that slight, unique combination of consciousness. So each philosophy, each tool will work a little differently for me. So I cannot assume something is true. At a, if I only assume something is true, true at a theory and kind of work with that and don't try to find my own experience, you're always going to find yourself in a struggle. So if there are things that you've been doing for years, but it's a personal struggle for you or you haven't yet felt the shift, it's probably because this, this is missing, which is finding that grain of truth in your own language, in your own physical experience, in your, from your own point of view. You have to define whatever belief system you're working with, you have to define it in your own unique way and not force yourself to align to someone else's words, someone else's experience. Because their experience is their experience. It can never be your experience. You have to find your unique expression of that uh, grain of tr truth, so to speak. It was muted, so you weren't hearing the dog snore, but I just took a big inhale, exhale on that one. <laughs> because I do think that, again, that's related to number three, right? Like going deep into something requires you to really explore it through your own experience. Mm -hmm. And if you're scratching the surface on something, it's really easy to try and you know, follow the exact rules or think a specific way because that's the way you read it or, you know, you don't have to put it to the test. But I, yeah, I mean, until you've had an opportunity to play with it or or put it through the fire and experience that truth yourself, you don't ever own it. It's a theory. And that theory isn't going to change you. It's, it's what you know that you've owned because you've, you've done it through your own experience. Those things change you. Correct. And, and I, would, I would actually go, go so far as to say, yeah, put it to the test. Like, you know, I think um, like a really good example we can give here is <clears throat> affirmations, right? People sometimes don't find success in affirmations. This is a really easy example. It, it's because, you know, affirmations are the words or the, it's not the words that are doing the magic so much as the energy that you're putting behind the words. So a lot of people use affirmations which are already made. Now that's a good starting point when you don't know 
what exactly you want to shape with your energy. Taking an affirmation that someone else is using is a really good starting point. But you have to eventually, this is where the depth comes in. You have to eventually, if you want to go deeper, you cannot take someone else's wisdom and experience, that affirmation that someone else has been using, and try and convert that into the energy that you are trying to create. You will always eventually want to turn that sentence into something unique, change the words, uh, shorten the sentence, lengthen the sentence, break it up, or use something completely different to mean to capture the essence of what you are wanting um, uh, to bring out. Does that, does that make sense? Like, I hope that's explaining the difference between personal experience and someone else's experience. Um, so what I'm saying to you right now, like, my personal experience has been that until I didn't kind of twist the knowledge, wisdom, uh, to, to, to kind of make it my own, to describe it in the way that I understand it, uh, th that energy or that wisdom, that tool really didn't work for me as much as it's working for me now. So personal experience trumps everything else. And I think that that is that's a hallmark of a idea, a philosophy, a dogma that that stands the test of time. I mean, not to like wrap it right back to where we started, but we'll say the Yoga Sutras is a good example of that. Is that it? Those ideas are flexible enough to be individually practical. They are, you know, fluid enough to be applicable in different situations through different perspectives in different periods of history and different kinds of situations in our individual lives, as opposed to some other things with really hard fixed rules where you can't find a way to craft it to be your own or work it through your own experience. I think that the fluidity of something that stands the test of time is a really good testament to the power of those ideas. Does that make sense? Did I just I, ramble off anything that makes sense? No, no, that, that made absolute sense. And in fact, I was going to add, you know, Yoga Sutras, the, the, the verses, those verses, the, the stuff that's in there, that has stemmed into, you know, major religions. I mean, you have um, Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, Zen philosophies. All of these have taken verses from the Yoga Sutra. And they've only taken a few verses. They've not even taken, like, the entire sutra <clears throat> on its own. and kind. They've taken, you know, chunks of it. And an entire religion has come out, or at least three, four religions have come out uh, of it. And that's what I mean that, you know, um, who, the founders of these religions or whoever is interpreting, they have taken, they studied that concept, they made it their own, and they explained it. And unfortunately, what happens with organized religion is that whoever was the enlightened person who took 
the wisdom, made it his own, became enlightened and kind of expressed it, the others don't understand the value of what the founder has actually done, which is make make the wisdom his personal experience. Unfortunately, what most people do is just take the words of what the what the enlightened person is saying and just try and replicate that without thinking, without really making it personal, without testing or putting it, putting that concept to the test. So that that thought actually came into my mind when you when you were expressing um, you know standing the test of time and and this is and that's why I say that this last one it might seem as if it just blends into the rest but it so does not like expressing hearing someone else's wisdom experience or listening to their experience and taking that grain of truth. And then finding through your practice and continued practice and going deeper with the practice, you find a very unique expression, which is only only unique. It's unique to you. It is only specific to you. You find that expression of that wisdom. That is personal experience. So you don't take it as your truth because your truth again, has to be a very unique, it has to have your fingerprint, it has to have your essence, that wisdom has to take on your essence. That's what personal experience means. Not just doing or using the tool as it's supposed to be. That is what practice is. But it's that, that fingerprint, your fingerprint, that needs to go on to that wisdom is what I'm labeling as personal experience. And that is, every time you, ex every time you have that is when you shift, you have that internal paradigm shift. So all your paradigm shift, if you look back, you contemplate and, and go into retrospection, all, each of your paradigm shifts have happened when you've taken something that you've known for years, but have experienced it in a very, unique manner which gave you an aha moment um, and the way you've understood it is the way you've understood it. You've never heard it ever, uh, you know, you've never linked it before or you never had heard anyone express it the way you experienced it. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. So. Review for us really quickly what the four pillars are again. I mean, I think we covered it, but we're coming to the top of the hour, top so we want to make sure that we do an, a nice summary here. Go over the yes. four pillars really quickly yes. again. Okay, so the four pillars, are, this is the four pillars, what I'm calling four pillars of your practices. Without these four, you aren't going to make significant progress. The first one is actual practice, which means doing the work. The second one is being continuous and steady with your practice. The third one is going deeper, digging deeper into the same technique, into the same practice. And fourth one is gaining a unique personal experience before you accept any wisdom as your truth. So those are the four pillars um, that we spoke about.
And I can't believe that we're already an hour <laughs> into this conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had to, I had to kind of lay this out um, because in my, in my view, what I found over the last two years is that if any of these four were missing, I was really, yeah, I was not making any real progress. I used to keep slipping back. My slippage was higher. And this time I'm able to uh, stay in this state of happy because all of these four things exist simultaneously all the, uh, um, at all times. So, um, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you. So, I have. Do you think that we can give like an activity or an exercise? Yes, let's do that. Okay. So, really quickly. So, um, again, based on what we spoke of um, at the end of the call, the activity is very simple. What I encourage all of you all to do is look, relook at your practices. What practices do you use? Um, um, list them out, like categorize them. Maybe categorize them into the ones that are regular. Categorize them um, regular and irregular. Now, within the regular, you may want to find out which ones you enjoy the most, you know, things that are of least effort. Like you want to go there, you want to kind of sit for that practice or do that practice. And um, figure out which ones are more effort. Now, the reason I'm asking you to kind of gauge this is because at the end of it, like, like we've discussed before, it's not about how many practices you're doing, how many mix and matches you're doing. It's about the quality. It's taking that practice and using these four pillars. That's going to make a difference. So I'll strongly encouraging, encourage you to kind of do like a spring cleaning, like clean house with the number of practices you have. Um, and if it turns out that you do you do three and you do them all well, fantastic. There's nothing to be thrown out. Fantastic. That's really great. Then check it again. Okay, are you continuous and steady? Say you are continuous and steady. Fantastic. Then go to the fourth pillar, which is how deep have you gone? Are you at the same level as you were five years ago? What's the next level for that practice? Like figure that out. Say you're going deeper. Okay. Then check it against the fourth practice, which the fourth pillar, which is personal experience. What are you just doing something in a way that someone else prescribed? How have you changed that practice? How can you change that practice to put your stamp on it? How can you make it unique? How can you tweak it to to really kind of carry your uh, fingerprint? So I the, the activity in short is taking your practices and putting it against these four pillars and kind of figuring out, are you within these four pillars? How, many, how much of these four pillars are you doing and what changes can you bring to what you're already doing? Lisa, are you on mute again? How'd you guess? I was just going to say, well, I was saying it, but you couldn't hear me because I was muted, that I think this is an incredibly valuable practice to do this inventory kind of piece of homework because LOA people are often running, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 different things every day. 
And when you really start talking to them, they're like, oh, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. And, like, picking up new processes to get a new miracle without really being mindful about what we're doing. When you said, have you been doing it five years? Most people aren't going to be able to say they've been doing anything for five years because they move on too quickly or very quickly. I won't judge whether or not it was too quickly. But, yeah, I think this is a really valuable piece of homework. Yeah, and, and, and if you what – what I'm thinking is that I'll leave this, the, the four pillars, like just the, just the four, four words on, on the, in the Facebook group and uh, – do you think that will help? And along with the, the activity, like just define the activity in case someone picks it up. Good. Okay. Yay. Um, I was actually thinking I have to go into the concepts, but I think no, I just took an hour. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. And Jeanette has joined us. Janet, mm-hmm. not Jeanette. Hey. Hi. Hi. I'm so sorry. Life. I've had I've I've been listening so intently, I didn't even look at the dashboard. So, (laughs) Do you have any thoughts, Janet, before we close out? I'd love to hear. Yeah, I really do. I I got here really late, so I I caught the very tail end of the third. uh, Ruby, I had read your email that you wrote on the same, or the, the post you wrote on the same topic, the idea of the four pillars, which I absolutely love. And I I kind of went. Oh, this explains a lot. <laughs> I was reading through it. I'm going. Oh. <laughs> um, but what's so interesting for me is this. The 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 I I have been. Okay, I'm going to start that sentence again. Uh, the recognition that we have to do this in a personal way. It's actually uh, probably because I I kind of came to that. That if there's if I had to pick one pillar that has been the least successful in terms of my work in my own life, it would be the one about um, well, it'd be two of them. It would be the thing about making it personal, and it would be the thing about consistency and sticking with one. Because um, and Lisa, I, this is really interesting for me in the context of um, what I'm you know the work I'm doing at the moment in Coach Club where. There are some things that the the technique itself isn't quite landing for me, and I have been thinking, you know, that the reason it's quite unquote not working, which isn't true anyway, it is working, but it's not working necessarily as fast as I would like. I've been thinking the reason it's not working is because I'm not doing it properly, quote unquote. My this is full of air quotes. Everything I'm about to say is full of air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this idea that because I'm not doing it the way Lisa would do it, therefore I'm not doing it properly and therefore that's why it's not working, quote unquote. And now I'm thinking maybe I've got that back to front. Maybe <laughs> there is something here about doing it my way, adapting it to my style, adapting it and being much more sensitive to what I like about it, which is a lot, and finding a way to back away from, back the pressure off doing the bits. It's Because the, the techniques, it's, this is not a question of, is this a technique I like? It's more, is the way that, um, the way that I've been recommending, and this is not targeting Lisa or anybody, any other particular teacher, but I know as a teacher myself, it's very tempting to say, 
this doing it this way works really powerfully. So it's better to do it this way than to do it that way. And that's only taking into account my preference, my own success in the past with doing it. And it doesn't allow that flexibility. So I know I've been, I've done this as a teacher and I try not to because I know, deep down I know that, that for some people, me prescribing the specifics of how to do it isn't necessarily going to be doing them any favours. At the same time, I'm really keen for them to do the work. So I'm going to jump on them if they're kind of going, yeah, I'm not doing it because of X, Y, and Z. And um, navigating that both as an individual learner, learner as a student and as in my role as a teacher is absolutely fascinating to me. And I can recognise that we bring such complex and unique neurology to the party that there is no possible way to say prescriptively thou shalt do it this way and no other mm. yeah because that immediately going to I can't possibly know that my client or my students neurology is going to match mine and yet habitually we do it we all do it and so it's a really really big insight for me and I'm also really excited now because I'm looking at some of the stuff I'm learning from Lisa and going Oh my gosh! I'm going to I'm going to make it my own, and I feel really naughty, <laughs> really subversive, <laughs> and like I'm, it's that thing of I suddenly feel like I'm one of the cool kids that sits at the back of the class and does things a bit differently, which I've never been <laughs> in my whole yeah. life. I've always wanted to be, um, and and the other thing I'm really in, interested in and, and excited by is the idea that I could just do one thing. Mm-hmm. Instead of having to do the 15 things that I think I ought to be doing, which feels overwhelming, it feels fun and exciting, but it also feels overwhelming. I could just do, I could just choose and focus on just one thing and everything would change. Yes. I really like reminder. That's so potent. But thank you, Ruby. This has been, the, the little bit I heard obviously has inspired a lot of <laughs> internal conversation so I'm looking forward to listening to the recording for the rest of it <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really happy um you know when Lisa really I mean when Lisa kind of contacted me I was so thrilled to get the platform to share because um it's after years I mean I've been at this for 10 years now it's 10 years of you know combinations and I think just just with this state of happy, I've found like something that is working and it's it's and I just I really wanted to express it. So I really love mm-hmm. the platform. So I, I love hearing that you're it 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 is what I'm intending out of this these conversations is what some of it you're picking up. So that's that's really encouraging. It's absolutely encouraging. Well, and, and I, of course, I want to say that I absolutely love everything that I'm learning from Lisa. Um, this is, you know, I kind of, I, I, I um, dropped her in it a little bit, and I didn't mean to, but I absolutely love everything that I'm learning from Lisa, and now I'm even more excited about it because I get to tweak it, and I know that she'll appreciate that. Being a fellow rebel, being a being a fellow rebel. <laughs> I I do, and I think that it's critical to like pillar one and pillar two which is do the practice like you've got Mm -hmm. to find a way to make it yours so it can be sustainable so that it does work in your life so that it is something that you can commit to 
and not just do once and done, but to incorporate on those deeper levels, I think that it's, yeah, no, of course I appreciate it because I am also a rule breaker. So there you go. (laughs) Yep. Awesome. Uh, I'm just going to... I've gotten three emails from people who are listening and going to catch the archive and said they were sorry they missed the call. So I'm probably going to resend this out to everybody tomorrow or the next day so they can catch the archive. And I so appreciate you, Ruby. I'm just so honored that you're here and you're sharing with us. So we will see you not in one week, but two weeks, right? Correct. Okay. Thank you. And thank you, you, Janet. I'm glad you got your laptop back. And we'll see you guys in two weeks. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.